Hey guys and girls, welcome back to Molecule to Market, where inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Segal, and today's episode, I'll be going into the outsourcing space with a fantastic, fantastic guest. I'm very pleased to introduce uh, Diana Kraskowska, if I'm saying that correctly, who is the co-founder and CEO of Dal Riada. Uh, and just for background, Diana brings years of leadership and hands-on cross-disciplinary biotech and drug discovery experience spanning areas of company building, scientific and IP program strategy and operations. She completed her honours in uh, micro, uh, molecular biology and PhD in medical chemistry from the University of Toronto and is the co-founder of two biotechs uh, which have raised over 10 million in VC funding. Diana is the recipient of several entrepreneurship awards, including an RBC Prize for Innovation and Entrepreneurship and the 2018 MNP Future Leaders Award. She's brought, built a really fantastic contract research company uh, here in Ontario, just outside of Toronto. So very pleased as she is a guest on today's show. If you like today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and share and rate it. Uh, enjoy today's show. Hey, Diana, welcome to Molecule to Market. Hi, Raman. Pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, great to to have you here on the, on the show. And we've had the pleasure of meeting in person a couple of times in the last few months and getting to know each other. And actually, for our listener, Diana and I, on the day we're recording this, just found out that we're actually going to the same networking event in two hours as well so that's a that's a first i think where i'm going to interview a guest and actually see them in person really really soon afterwards which is very exciting so um diana you know i as, as i mentioned i've had the pleasure of getting to know you in the last couple of months and i would love you to give our listener a bit of an overview of kind of you and your journey and how you got into the sector and ultimately how you got to to where you are today at Dalriada. yeah absolutely well, I guess I guess I probably whenever I tell about my journey, I start uh, all the way from back home, <laughs> around grade grade seven, grade eight, when the whole life science education starts, and you're like, ah, I love those DNA molecules, <laughs> and then you come home and tell your parents that you want to be a scientist, and they're like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I, um, I've always been passionate since school years about the science. Um, and, uh, but in Belarus, where I finished my high school, there, there wasn't, uh, much happening in that industry, um, training wise, um, and industry wise. So I decided to move to Canada, um, to, um, get my bachelor. Uh, and postgraduate um, in Toronto at the University of Toronto. Um, so I was um, I was doing. I started with molecular biology, a bachelor program, and um, then because I get bored very easily, I decided to switch up to do PhD in medicinal chemistry. So um, that was that was a fun transition, I have to say. Uh, I pissed off a lot of uh, chemists in the lab. <laughs> trying to learn it. I think I was the only one in the chemistry lab who didn't actually have chemistry experience in the graduate program. I bet you they were, they were excited to see you join them and in, uh, in giving your opinions as well. 
Yeah, <laughs> we were scratching their head a little bit. <laughs> and before you before you continue, what why Canada? What was the link? Did you have family in Toronto, or was there something about uh, this part of the world that that made you want to want to move here? Ah, that's a great question. Um, and uh, I think uh, I think there's two parts uh, to it. Uh, I think the whole innovation uh, of North America was always appealing. Um, that's that's one, and definitely, definitely Canada. Back in those days, uh, when you were thinking of uh, moving countries, I think it, you know had a reputation of a very welcoming country with leading innovation, advanced science. So on balance, this seemed like a great place to go. And uh, Toronto is a known, globally known hub for life science um, training. So, so yeah, that that's how I ended up in Toronto. Uh, but no, no family. Um, so that was uh, that was straight after school. Um, and you did your so medicinal chemistry, your education, PhD here, and then where does where does the story go from there? Yeah. So so yeah. So I did essentially that. That's where the interesting part of the story, probably the most interesting, begins. Um, so the training, the training is great, right? As I suspected, uh, that it's, this is a place to get trained in life sciences, um, learn so much. There is so many research hospitals, uh, locally, uh, in Toronto, um, variety of, uh, graduate training programs at both masters and PhD levels, bachelor levels, um, but I think this is where, when you're getting close to graduation, this is when you learn something interesting and um, we what to do next and where to get a job uh, to continue in discovery innovation. And uh, this is what I started calling a Toronto paradox on life sciences, because it was not, I remember my school years, and it was not obvious. I was asking guys, well, where are you going to go and get a job? And it turns out that majority of scientists trained at Toronto um, are have to move to Boston or move to West Coast to get employed. Um, it turned out, you know, when you're deep down and you're in the zone of getting your PhD and trying to write a thesis and experiments, sometimes working, sometimes not working, you're just so in the zone that you don't have time to think about the bigger picture. Um, and then it hits you like a bus. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so essentially locally uh, in Toronto, unfortunately, the uh, uh, big pharma um, in its drug discovery R&D capacity has really left uh, Toronto area a long time ago. And we're talking um, but also unfortunately the biotechnology sector smaller biotech setup or contract research industry has not really picked up so there uh, it created a bit of a void and a massive gap um, and a disconnect between the sheer number of trainees that were graduating locally uh, in the Toronto area uh, 
and the job opportunities in the science, in discovery, in R and D. So that's so that that was the Toronto paradox. So as a as a trainee with a PhD in medcam and a background in molecular biology, you're kind of scratching your head <laughs> what to do next. Um, and so I I did not want to move, um, or I couldn't move for family reasons um, from Toronto. So you have to be you have to be creative a little bit. But I think what that did is, I think at that point in time, I for the first time, I realized the opportunity um, that exists, uh, a massive opportunity that exists in Trump. It's the um, sheer uh, volume and number of talent that is here that could be deployed towards the innovation and the discovery uh, and R&D sector. And so not only is the talent, but our institutions locally are producing so much innovative technologies uh, within its walls. You have, and when you're talking about institutions locally, you have University of Toronto, you have York University, McGill, Queens, Western, it's uh, they are world-renowned institutions in life sciences, and so you have the talent, you have a lot of IP. Now, what happens to IP and tech um, is usually it either doesn't get commercialized because the industry is not that mature, or it almost immediately leaves into the hands of the investors outside of Canada. Uh, U.S., Europe, U.K., this is the whole story of the tech drain and brain drain from Canada has been persisting for um, decades now. And so, so, that's, so that really was the opportunity that I saw at that time um, to really push the commercialization of the uh, drug discovery uh, IP locally and technologies um, and um, I teamed up with my ex PhD supervisor uh, Patrick Gunning um, to see what we can do here locally without having to move um, so so that's a, that's kind of the the first part of the story of where where the idea came from and uh, a little bit on uh, my background and before we get into Dalriada and how that was founded after us given I've just relocated here and one of the observations we had in our research looking at the, particularly the greater Toronto area was access to life science talent and just like you said there the quality of people that come out of the colleges and universities here is is superb so my question for you now is if you know that was you know more than 10, so 10 years ago that you were in that situation. As you fast forward to today, do you think that has changed in terms of, are you still seeing these the talent that's coming from the Toronto universities and wider in Ontario actually still leaving for uh, the UK, the US, for Europe, or are you seeing something, uh, you know, I suppose, a, a hub here that is, now thriving and retaining talent locally here? 
Great question. Um, and, uh, you know, there is, uh, I think there is a bit of progress that we've made between, you know, compared to seven, 10 years ago and now we have. Is it at scale and is it uh, materially bridging the gap that exists between the trainees, numbers of trainees and number of talent um, and uh, the opportunities? We're not there yet. It's it's uh, there's massive improvements, and it does feel like we're on the cusp of truly making a difference. You do see more biotechs forming. You do you do see movement forward, uh, but we do need a, a more of a catalyst uh, to get to the scale and match the scale. Um, of the uh, of the opportunities through the uh, training that we're providing here, um, so progress is there, um, but there is a lot more, uh, <laughs> a lot more that we could and should be doing locally, which yeah creates and rem it remains an opportunity to grow to grow companies here locally um, and very competitively. And, and and on that thread then of growing a company here locally, that's that's exactly what you have been able to do. So let's let's talk about you know, obviously you you came out of your PhD and you said you'd uh, obviously spoke to your supervisor Pat and actually talk us through the the fact you know the the founding story of Dalriada and how that came about. You know it's it's unusual. I'm trying to think of the. 150 or so episodes that I've done where someone has seemingly gone straight from the academic environment to you know, setting up their own company, which it's, unless I'm mistaken, unless I missed something in the middle, that's pretty much what you did. You went from kind of academic research straight into being a founder of a company. So A, t tell me if that's correct and B, talk us through what that was like. Would love to, Raman. I think it's, it's interesting you say it. How common is it that you kind of get out of this of school and jump straight into company building. Um, I th I think it's industry dependent, right? If you look back at the sort of Silicon Valley boom, that was more common, right? People would be dropping out of school and starting companies <laughs> and growing them into multi-million dollar businesses. Uh, in life sciences, that's probably not so common. Or at least back in the days of when I started, that was definitely more on the rare side. And 100% in Toronto, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and, and the bridge is actually quite an interesting uh, part. Um, I, was, um, I did have an excellent opportunity um, to enroll into an um, uh, incubator uh, program. It's not so much an incubator. It's a business training one-on-one -on -one -on -one for those who've never had business training. So it was a two-month uh, training course on anything business and how to start a company. But because there wasn't enough demand for anything in life sciences, it was filled with tech people. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to kind of extrapolate the uh, principles of the tech world to what applies to biotech. Uh, so we had some interesting discussions uh, on that front, but yes, uh, the short answer, yeah, it's not, it's not, it wasn't that common. But you see now that happening more and more. Um, I think the uh, 
the critical components are the IP available, the ideas available, but also the incubator space uh, and some seed funding. And we compare it to what it was seven years ago here locally, um, it's definitely developing. You have more grant programs to start a life science company. Um, you have more seed funding around uh, in Toronto. Um, is it on the scale that you see in San Francisco and Boston? It's not, but we've made significant progress here locally, and uh, I'm very happy to see that. Um, so, so it's we're moving. We're definitely moving forward uh, with that. But interestingly enough, the first companies that um, I've founded were not uh, Dalriada. Um, so the first two companies uh, were based on the IP from U of T, um, uh, which were against a certain um, therapeutic uh, target um, with some chemistry IP around them. And, uh, and they both failed. <laughs> <laughs> but boy, that was a learning. That's that's really those failures were really the uh, um, were really the foundation for why for why Dalriada got created. You are listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Talk us through those failures. Obviously, you don't have to go into the specifics, but what did you learn? from those failures because i can imagine at such a early start of your career that could be devastating right and you could see that being like uh okay i was you know i'm this is too hard i'm gonna go get a job so somewhere i'm gonna move to boston so like what did you did you have a positive outlook through those failures or was it quite soul destroying what when it happened when it happened yeah um it wasn't easy right so um, I was I was fortunate uh, enough to get some seed funding uh, for those um, for those companies, um, and it was a grant, a small grant here, a small grant there, and that allowed uh, us to file IP, to uh, uh, go on the fundraising campaigns, uh, to advance the R and D a little bit, uh, whatever the seed funding allowed. Um, but unfortunately the, it was just, the science was not cooperating and the targets in question had gaps, significant gaps in validation. So pharma wasn't ready to take them on or fund them or collaborate on them. VCs were saying, well, it's too big of a gap, uh, to fund, uh, with such unknowns on the tox, on the toxicology side. And so... It was uh, it was it was hard, um, but uh, but I knew it was just the beginning, <laughs> and it was I, I was always trying to treat it as a learning experience. And uh, for a person who is trained in life sciences, not in business, um, it uh, for me it was I was just grateful that I had that experience, and those grants allowed me to go through that path, and. The key learnings from it was that for a virtual company, like those two companies were, um, seed funded only, 
it is very, very hard to find the right outsourcing partner. You're dealing with um, dozens of MSAs that you need to do on limited budgets, limited um, limited bandwidth um, in a small team of one, one and a half people. Um, and you could outsource what, what I think the key finding was is, look, you can outsource cheaper, right? But you're not getting the intellectual support uh, to advance um, the uh, early program to a value inflection point uh, easily. You can access some monstrous drug discovery organizations, but they cost an arm and a leg. So for a seed-funded company, it's a very, um, it's almost impossible uh, to do it. And frankly, when you have limited budgets, sometimes they they don't want to work with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On small programs, and that's exactly the gap that um, I saw, and I felt it on my personal experience. And that's where the companies, these two companies, did not go forward um, because of partially because some of these uh, challenges. So. So I thought, hey, why isn't there a uh, drug discovery contract partner organization who is really focusing on these semi-virtual virtual companies um, and helping them with more than just executing on a predefined plan, but rather being a partner through this journey, understanding how to focus on the value inflection points, uh, on understanding that the smaller biotechs are on a milestone-to-milestone -milestone funding uh, track, uh, and how to bridge the science and the business. And so you could lift the load of those nimble biotechs with paperwork as well. Boy, those MSAs and contracts, multiple contracts with multiple organizations, is one of the was for me one of, of the daunting tasks in trying to build those companies. And I really wished every second of the day that someone could do could do that for me. <laughs> so, did you build? The, did you started building the business that you? I mean, was it just seeing a gap in the market as simple as that, or you know, was it almost seeing? building a type of business that you could have really done with some help from, you know, during your, your failures, if that makes sense. I think it was a constellation, right? One is I saw in these early days, I saw a gap in the market. Um, that's, that was one. The second was I saw the opportunity locally in Toronto from this talent side. So it was it was really a constellation of those two of those two factors that got the formation of Dalriada on the vision of the turnkey discovery model, where it's absolutely focused on the partners. What do they need? How we can lift the weight of their shoulders and enable them uh, for their success. Um, and that and that's when it start, started. And now and now we're about hundred people. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I was just about to ask that. Like, talk us through. It's been seven years since you started Dalriada uh, with your co-founder. The growth has been very impressive during that time. I believe the the majority of your team are 
employed here in the greater Toronto area, which is obviously fantastic and kind of validate the thesis that you had around the talent here. So talk us through the growth then of the business and how it's been. And I suppose for our listeners as well, give us a flavor for the types of capabilities and services that you guys uh, support pharma and biotech with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, ter- in terms of the growth, so we were, we were lucky and I'm forever grateful to our first, to our first client and partner who put the faith into the model. And, um, and that was the CEO of, um, the, um, startup, uh, Janpix, uh, Roman Fleck. Um, and, uh, he had a vision of having almost his own team at his fingertips. And that's exactly what Dalriada's vision was to provide, um, a team dedicated, uh, to the vision of a new virtual company. Um, and so we, we launched with the first integrated discovery program with full support end to end. Um, on that. And it was a team of about 10 um, that we've built in chemistry, biophysics, biochemistry, cell biology to enable the heat to lead stages of the program. Um, and so it started as a small team, but from the very beginning, we were integrated. And that is a very big difference to other drug discovery organizations and CROs, uh, which started on a, in a very specific niche. Uh, a lot of them started in chemistry, some started in biology, start, some started in genomics, and by the time they were integrated, they were mostly growing by acquisition of other units uh, in their specific expertise. So, in fact, they kind of stitched together the different disciplines as they went Whereas we started with an integrated small team. And so that feeling and philosophy that all we do is integrated drug discovery is really embedded in the company from day one. Uh, and we do the opposite. We grow out the departments from our integration. Um, and so the uh, whole notion that every program is inherently a discovery program versus it's a chemistry project or a biology project. We think about it holistically. So now we're about 100 people and um, uh, we have departments of chemistry, uh, medicinal chemistry, uh, cell biology, molecular biology, proteomics, protein mass spec sciences, um, ADMI, um, uh, crystallography, protein production. So essentially, all the main functions that are needed to um, enable programs from target identification and validation all the way to the development candidate nomination. And, um, and that's just the internal discovery labs function, which is one of the three pillars of Dalriada. Um, and those are, those are the talented um, guys and our terrific team that is in Toronto, uh, all of them in the Toronto labs. Um, but we have two other pillars that really contribute to the makeup of the turnkey discovery model, and that's a discovery strategy and discovery management. 
And so in those um, functions in the discovery strategy, we have a team of highly experienced veterans of drug discovery who took multiple compounds to the clinic and they really are overseeing and um, developing the program plans um, to make sure that the plan is really um, positioned for success of the program and ultimately get it into the clinic. Um, and so it's that mix, I think what we got right is the mix of innovative, younger talent um, who have academic background, maybe a couple years of uh, industry experience, mixed with very experienced drug discovery experts who have seen a lot in their life and <laughs> uh, learned a lot of, have seen a lot of failures and learned from them and have also seen the programs that succeed. Um, and then the last bit, which is probably the most differentiating from the um, scope of support uh, for Dalriada is the discovery management group. So what we do differently to other companies, and that comes back to the whole pain that I personally went through with the MSAs and agreements as a biotech, um, is that discovery management, whatever we don't do in-house, to enable the program, discovery management outsources every other step that's needed. So when clients and partners come to us with a specific objective and vision, we uh, take care of all of the paperwork for them to enable um, incorporation of any other provider uh, under project umbrella. So they don't have to touch a single paperwork outside of uh, getting the MSA done with Dalriada. And that's that lifts a massive bandwidth problem off their shoulders and saves on the GNA cost because we already have that in place. We're under MSAs globally with so many firms uh, routinely in different sectors. So it's, um, it's a bit of an economy of scale from the uh, quoting perspective, the paperwork perspective. And importantly, it's integrated, right? So we're thinking about their projects from start to finish in in seven years where you have grown the team grown the business you know had great success in in in, in doing so one thing i'm always interested in diana is just giving people a flavor for the challenges of of starting growing and scaling a business like could, can you point to one or two of the hardest transitions you have gone through as a, as a CEO and founder of, of the business that have really you know, really tested you or really led to, to your own personal growth in the last seven years? Uh, yeah. I'm sure there are lots. I'm sure there are lots. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> there's definitely a lot. But I, I have to say every time you fail, at least for me, every time... But I think that would be true for our team as well. Every time we face a challenge, the next one doesn't seem as hard to overcome. Because every time we have overcome a challenge together as a team, that just gave us another level of confidence that as a team we can get through a lot together. Um, one, definitely the first, you know, when you ask the question, the first thing that, uh, well, two, two things come to mind, right? 
one was COVID. Like that story, I think every person in the company remembers like it was yesterday, right? When the announcements came out that governments might be implementing a full lockdown on businesses, I remember we were sitting on the floor in the lab or just outside the lab and scratching our heads whether we'll have a job tomorrow. Um, and that that did bring the company together um, seriously. Um, we found a way. We found a way. Uh, we found a way to implement all of the requirements that the government imposed on companies um, to make sure that we continue to operate. And we were lucky to find that way and uh, make sure um, that we continue supporting our partners. Because in many other many other companies had to shut their doors for months, um, and uh, so that was definitely one. And uh, uh, that was, I think that that really showed us that we can overcome a lot of challenges. As a growing company, especially in the service business, and I'm sure you probably have seen uh, that as well the clients right anytime you lose a client a substantial client uh especially if you're very concentrated in the business um it's uh it's you're still learning right you're still you're still learning the balance of what the pipeline uh should look like so that client balance and making sure that um it's diversified it's always a challenge for a service business. Yeah, could not agree more, could not agree more. And I know prior to doing today's interview, we kind of, you and I had a, a brief conversation about, you know, I suppose being a female leader in this sector and being a, an entrepreneur that has started a business and, you know, we laughed on, you know, it wasn't an area that you wanted to kind of delve into too detail, but I suppose one thing I wanted to ask around that is you've you have built a business, you know, as a as a female entrepreneur alongside obviously another founder. And you know, we'll have lots of our listeners will be, uh, you know, young women, middle aged women growing their careers in this sector, looking at someone like you and, and what you have achieved. Are there any particular lessons or learnings or even the self talk that you might have to give yourself that you think might help people? Uh, you know, other women in, in particular that are you know, facing imposter syndrome or self-doubt or whatever that might look like. Or, or all of the above? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know when I, my majority of my team and mentors have all been female. So I kind of, I feel like uh, I'll never truly empathize, uh, but I always feel like I've got to, you know, I, I kind of understand, but I think it's always useful, particularly given how you've succeeded in sharing some of your experiences and just learnings that I think might help help others yeah yeah no I've, I've actually been reflecting on the on this topic after we last chatted and it's um it's look it's I won't lie it's not easy it's not an easy path it's not a nine-to-five job it's a 24-7 job and as a woman and most women many women uh, there is another. There is another responsibility w- that we inherently have. <laughs> Many of us is uh, our little ones, 
I was laughing. I was laughing with my female colleagues at work. I was because uh, I logged in. I usually start my second shift of work after my kid goes to bed, um, and that starts around nine p.m. And I see four people online in the company, and they're all women. And we started chatting and laughing. It's like, well, why is it just all all females online? And you know, and I think that is, that is a good reflection about the. Uh, just the nature of many of us have kids and there are there is this that second component in there that and the guilt that you have as a uh, as a mother um where when you have to split your time between a demanding job um and being responsible for the kids at home but also the uh dozens of employees uh whose jobs and on you so it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty big weight to carry but it's so rewarding it's just so rewarding um when you really love what you do when you're passionate about what you do and you can see that you're enabling the work without other people who are passionate about their jobs and in the discovery sector it's absolutely amazing i would say from the reflections you know it's the the biggest lesson I've probably learned is you just need to, to surround yourself with people who rule, really care about you and uh, those who don't those who don't even think about whether you're a female or how old you are. It's people who are really united by the vision and the mission and the work. Uh, there will always be those who have their opinions. And it's just about your ability to ignore that um, because there will always be something. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad you shared that because I think your honesty and vulnerability and openness is, is exactly what our listeners are looking for. And almost that there's no magic... There's no magic pill. There's no silver bullet to success, right? As in it <laughs> comes to sacrificing hard work, all the things that you, you have demonstrated. So thank you for, for being so open. And we've got five minutes left. And the one area I certainly wanted to touch on was kind of looking forward into the future. And um, I suppose your views on the market right now, and it's been a very choppy to say the least time for the early phase kind of biotech companies and virtual biotechs even some of the large pharma companies you know it's very kind of public how many cuts are being missed kind of made across the industry so what's your take on you know the outlook of the industry for the next couple of years you know certainly from where i stand you know, the underlying trends of our sector remain very very positive in terms of the trend towards outsourcing. There's you know more products coming through the clinic, and and kind of the big uh, kind of factors still seem to be pointing in the right direction. Nevertheless, it has been a difficult time for the sector. Talk you know, talk to us and talk to our listener about what what you envisage the next couple of years are, are going to look like. Uh yeah, absolutely. It's definitely yeah. We, can't, we we I think we all agree that it's been a tough time for the sector, right? Uh, the COVID time was interestingly uh, such a such an interesting boost to the entire industry, and it was the money was flowing 
um, into the sector heavily, um, which, as most of us know, uh, has been followed by the drop-off. Um, many companies got um, revalued as a result. The investments are much were much harder. I think we're seeing a lot of positive signs of rebuilding um, that. Um, it's... Um, I think it's taking time. I think everyone is being cautious, continues to be cautious, um, especially in the just on the macro level, right? What is happening with the economy, right? How is the inflation going to affect it? How the interest rates are going to affect it? Uh, but the fundamentals, I think what's interesting is that the fundamentals of the uh, um, biotech um, and uh, pharma sectors is still there. The population is aging and that means more therapeutics are needed the burden on the society for treatments um, is increasing so the fundamentals for investments into healthcare and therapeutics is absolutely there and the longer the longer the lifespan the more therapeutic solutions we will uh, we will be needing so, um, so that that is there. And I think ex the exciting thing for the industry and for patients is that the AI will definitely make a difference uh, in the sector. There is no doubt about it. Um, how it will look like in drug discovery, um, I think, remains to be seen. There is um, a lot of companies following different directions um, in drug discovery. But the breakthroughs will come. Uh, I'm certain of that. And I think this will enable more cost-effective uh, development of therapies. But importantly also, I think it will lead to some serious breakthroughs. Uh, because one of the fundamental challenges today in the field is that the sheer volumes of data can no longer be utilized because there's so much out there in a single project team without some powerful data processing and algorithms. You just can't uh, employ that knowledge effectively. So the interface between the advancements in instrumentation, proteomics, um, and the power of the machine learning, it it probably soon will start translating into the results, and uh, definitely, definitely for Dalriada, that's also something that we're actively looking at and implementing the advanced solutions to all areas of our work. Well, which was the second part of the question I was going to go to, which was the role of AI, which you've you've covered, but it sounds like something that you guys are certainly going to embrace uh, kind of moving forward and naturally, because I think it is, from everything I read, obviously drug discovery will be, is being uh, disrupted in in the best possible way by AI in terms of helping the process of, of drug development. Um, Diana, believe it or not, we are we are up on time and what a what a pleasure it has been to have you as a guest on, on Molecule to Market. I'm so grateful that you've been able to make the time to share your story and your success 
And uh, yeah, it goes without saying, but you know, we wish you all the very best uh, for the future and Dalriada and yeah, and keep keep setting the example that you do for others in the sector. I think it's uh, it's an incredible business story and one that certainly should be celebrated. Thank you, Raman. was uh, was great to chat. Truly, and uh, I guess we'll I will see you. Later. I'll see I'll see you very soon. <laughs> So there you have it. That was Diana Kraskowska, who is the CEO and co-founder of Dal Riada. What a terrific episode, I have to say. Uh, I'm a big fan of Diana's, having met her a few times recently. She just has such a great uh, energy and you can sense that passion from the way that she communicates uh, and I love some of the things that we we covered today um you know having just moved to this part of the world it was great to hear kind of the Toronto paradox as she called it the kind of sense that uh you know historically there's been a huge brain drain in terms of talent uh, tech and IP that has left this area but uh, she also talked about how times have changed and this is really becoming a powerhouse in in the life science industry uh, certainly one of the reasons that we thought it was an attractive place to set up a remarketing office. Um, I loved her honesty around the the kind of failures that she had in business, which ultimately led to her starting uh, Dal Riada. She actually is also uh, the co-founder of another business, uh, Dunad Therapeutics, which came out the University of Toronto, which we didn't cover today, but certainly encourage you have a look at that as well but it just you know the way that she saw a gap in the market and you know, wanted to access that talent pool in the area which was ultimately the kind of catalyst for the start of her CRO business at Alriado and, and again I love her genuine appraisal of the challenges and realities of scaling that business over the last uh, seven or eight years into a very very successful business that's uh, got a great reputation in in our space and uh, yeah, other things that we covered, obviously some fantastic advice for other, you know, any of our female listeners, or indeed any of our male listeners just, you know, struggling with uh, belief in self-confidence and anything around, you know, just what it takes to build a career in a business like she, you know, good old fashioned kind of sacrifice and hard work and, you know, believing in yourself, which is always, always good uh, to hear. And towards the back end, it was, uh, you know, wish we maybe next time go into a little bit more detail AI side of things on the drug discovery uh, world is it seems to be a really disruptive part of that market at the minute but yeah really great guest uh, hope you enjoyed today's interview as always thanks to you for listening thanks to my team uh, for pulling together today's podcast um, if you liked today's podcast please share it rate it uh, yeah, do what, what you want what you want with it uh, but certainly let other people thanks again hi again Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website, uh, Molecule to Market Pod or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on Molecules Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon.
You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.